Welcome back to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. We began a series two weeks ago with Jennifer Thompson and Katie Monroe, who started Healing Justice, an organization which reaches out to people all across the country, people who have been harmed by our justice system due to wrongful conviction. Our first podcast in this series focused on stories of survivors and what they need to heal, personal stories of Jennifer and Katie. Our second podcast explored how Healing Justice came to be and a little bit of what their mission is. Today, we will delve deeper into the organization's programs and goals. So that's a great place to begin. Katie, let's maybe begin with you. Tell us about the structure of your project um, and have you modeled it after any organization that is similar to Healing Justice? Absolutely. And thank you again for uh, for giving this opportunity to talk about our extremely unique work. Um, I don't think that we have modeled after anyone else only because we, we truly are. Healing Justice really is the first organization to to take on this lens of all harmed by these particular injustices. We have created our own model. Mm. And, um, and, and I think that's really important. We've, as, as, as we, as we're growing, we really believe that our model probably is one of what we call transformative justice that, that could apply in, many other types of contexts and to many other types of cases of injustice. Um, and so it's, it's exciting to be able to talk about this. Um, you know, our name is Healing Justice, and it's uh, really appropriate because we, we, those are the two major uh, prongs of our work. Um, we have a, a, a set of healing work and a set of what we call justice work. And in our healing work, we are really focused on creating safe spaces and individualized support that allow us to tackle the complex grief and trauma that are caused by these particular injustices. And we do that both for individuals and in the setting of families and whole communities. And then on the justice side of our work, we are focused on improving the justice system to prevent future harm by these cases. And as part of that, we work really hard to um, restore the voices of those who have been harmed and, 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 and involve them in our work and enable them to, to go out and be leaders for reform in their own communities. Um, we have, our model involves essentially four sets of program services. Uh, we, in our healing work, we offer group retreats, um, both in person and virtually, and those healing retreats, which Jennifer, um, and she can talk about this, uh, designed, personally designed uh, in collaboration with restorative justice experts, um, are these, these gatherings are really the cornerstone of our work. They've been um, in many ways, the most unique and most successful aspect of our work. We bring people together for peer support and restorative justice and um, art therapy and other trauma recovery activities that enable both 
healing for the individuals and healing across the group. And again, we do this um, as retreats in person and, and since really since the beginning of this awful pandemic have been gathering people virtually. Um, and we're always excited to share that we've now had 14 very successful healing justice retreats, in-person retreats. And we've also done 28 virtual circles um, in our the short five years that we've been around um, and that's very exciting for us and uh, you know we'll be continuing that aspect of our work for sure and in, to supplement that um, group healing activities or those group healing activities we also offer individualized support and services and resources so that uh, if individuals have um, uh, personal requests for assistance we can um, help connect them up with service providers. We also are in the process of training people um, in our community to provide one-on-one -on -one peer support. We've developed a, 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 a set of online resources where people can, where individuals can get um, support and assistance on their own through our website. We've set, we've created a set of uh, documentary peer support films for crime victims and survivors and a catalog of peer-led resources for exonerees and their families. Um, and so that that really rounds out our, our healing work, both the group and the individual support. And then on the justice side, we do a variety of um, training and technical assistance, particularly for criminal justice professionals and agencies. We work with prosecution and victim service and law enforcement agencies around the country, both uh, to train their staff um, sometimes agency-wide, sometimes statewide, but we also provide individual technical assistance in ongoing cases um, as needed. And of course, we do a lot of public education um, on top of that. And then another really uniquely designed program service that we offer is something that we call listening sessions, which um, create opportunities for individuals who've been harmed in these cases to to sit in a safe space and share with criminal justice professionals what they experienced. Because one of our one of our values at Healing Justice, Jennifer and I felt very strongly about this from the beginning, was that even though she and I both have personal experiences with wrongful conviction, we couldn't know, right? We couldn't speak for everyone else who had been harmed. And so we knew we needed to start by listening to others. You know, they were the experts. And so we've held listening sessions for exonerated individuals, for their family members, for crime victims and survivors. Um, we're actually working now on um, a listening session with, uh, with, with other impacted um, people, particularly criminal justice professionals like jurors and prosecutors and others. And we found that, that these listening sessions um, serve Two really important purposes. One, they, they they really help restore the voices of those who've been impacted by these injustices. You know, they they have an opportunity to to share um, without being questioned. And then um, the the criminal justice professionals or the others, the policymakers who listen in these settings, learn how they can do better, how they can provide um, a better service and improve the justice system to prevent future harm. So really that's, that is the, the, the set of program services that um, we're very excited to share. Mm. And, you know, we really think this, this kind of work could apply even beyond wrongful conviction cases. So, so we hold it out as a model mm. now. 
Um, I wanted to ask you to maybe just very briefly um, explain the concept of restorative justice. I've read several books about it, and uh, and there's also there was a wonderful program uh, done by Van Jones called the Redemption Project. It was done about a year ago, uh, and it really showed how victims and um, perpetrators came together to speak about what happened. Very, a very rare kind of program. So what exactly would you say restorative justice is? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give a broad answer and then I would really love for Jennifer to describe how the first restorative justice event in a wrongful conviction case came to pass because it became the model, the one that she designed became the model of the work that we do. I think probably the most important piece about restorative justice for people to understand is that it um, it was created to provide a response to crime victims and survivors, something alternative to the criminal justice system, which is really focused on the the suspect the accused defendant and the prisoner and um and so a true restorative justice approach has a crime victim or survivors uh um experience and needs at the center of it Mm -hmm. and you know in the case of wrongful convictions um there are the traditional crime victims and survivors uh those who were hurt by the original crime like um like jennifer and and so many others but but you know we see exonerated individuals and their families as victims in these cases as well and so when we think about restorative justice at healing justice um we really see uh a space where you know this we're all harmed sit together and ask those key questions those key restorative justice questions which are um how were you harmed what did you need then what did you need what do you need now and whose responsibility is it to to meet those needs um but but it was truly jennifer long before i became involved with healing justice jennifer sat down and and designed the very first restorative justice event in a wrongful conviction case. And I think it'd be important for her to share how that came to be. Sure. Jennifer? Yeah. um, Well, as I alluded to earlier, you know, Ronald and I, when we first met in that church so, so, so long ago, kind of engaged in what would be a restorative justice moment where we could both sit together and ask each other the questions that we needed to ask. And, um, and I didn't, I, I didn't know that at the time. It wouldn't be for a few years when someone looked at me and said, hey, can you come to this event and talk about restorative justice? And I remember looking at them um, perplexed and said, I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, and that's when I really learned what restorative justice was. And like Katie said, you know, in a wrongful conviction case, both parties um, are, are the victims. And what we what we should be looking for in answers and in for healing should come from the perpetrator, which oftentimes is unknown, or the state, which had the responsibility to um, give justice to the victims and, of course, not incarcerate innocent people. But that, that was going to be a, a tall order to fill because most um, of the states weren't really in a position or in a place where they were willing to admit that there had been something um, wrong, that there had been a harm committed on the on behalf of the state. So 
so in 2014, I had gone out to San Francisco. I, again, did another eyewitness um, presentation. And one of our very close colleagues, who at that point was the director of the Northern California Innocence Project, looked at me and said, hey, what do you think about the possibility? Is it even possible to do a restorative justice moment in a wrongful conviction? And, and my answer came back as absolutely, I think you can. And um, so we sat down and began to think about what this would look like, and we were able to host the very first restorative justice moment, um, really in an in a organized way. Out in California, we brought together four exonerated men, and we brought together three original crime survivors for a weekend um, and started exploring the questions of how are you harmed, what do you need, and whose obligation is it to to provide that? And it was a huge success. And mm. um, and, and it was after that moment, after that weekend, that I really knew that this was something that we could do on a on a much bigger scale, on a on a on a national level, um, and not just the exonerated folks, but um, their families and not just the crime survivors, but their families. And what would it look like if we were able to provide this safe space where people could come and validate each other's experiences and witness each other's harms and begin to heal together as a, as a community of, of all harmed. Um, so in 2015, that's when I launched Healing Justice and we've mm. been working ever since then. Right. Um, you must be so proud of what you've achieved, both of you, so far. What are you most pleased about? Jennifer, you go. Well, <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that I'm proud about. But to be honest with you, I mean, one of the things I take the greatest pride in is watching individuals um, kind of cling their lives back and... Um, had that moment when you can see it happening and Katie and I often refer to it as magic um, because we can't figure out any other word to use, but it's magic when you watch a crime survivor be able to leave behind an addiction or when you watch the mother of an exonerated person after years and years and years of uh, being so stuck and so broken be able to say, you know what, it's, it's time for me to move on now. It's time for me to have a life beyond this over here. Or you watch an exoneree um, leave a retreat and, and know that his value and his worth are very much still there and that he can start his own nonprofit. He can get married. He can have a baby. I mean, these so there's the big things that, you know, I'm certainly proud about, but it's watching individual people um, find their voices again and find that power back in their lives and do something really quite remarkable that I don't think they even knew that they could do. Oh, that's or that we knew we could do. <laughs> I, think, you know, right. I mean, Jennifer's right. Magic is, is, is a word that we use um, very seriously all of the time because we are definitely watching. I mean, clearly, clearly the model is working, right? There's no question in our, and the testimonials and the feedback and the, the measurements that we're doing, you know, we're seeing that. Um, I think, I just want to add that I also think a very key accomplishment has been um, 
lifting the voices of crime victims and survivors in particular. Uh, you know, exonerated individuals, um, I mean, clearly innocent people in a prison don't receive enough attention because the vast majority of them, you know, will never be found and never be freed. But I think my whole life, you know, from 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 going to law school to clerking for a judge to my mom being wrongly convicted to going on to be an innocence project lawyer, I I'm guilty, if you will, of of having always viewed these cases through the lens of of the innocent prisoner, right, to the impact. And um, and that is how the world uh, views these cases. And um, I, I, the exonerated individuals have been fairly easy for us to, to find and connect with, right, because they're known. Um, in fact, there's a whole registry, right, of them. And, and, and Jennifer and I can find them and we can engage them and we can serve them and support them and their families. The crime victims and survivors have been so badly, so tremendously marginalized in these cases. By the time an exoneration comes around, nobody even knows where they are. And um, and and the work there um, is so much, I don't wanna say greater, but, it, but it's so much harder for us. And uh, we got a grant when we were just two and a half years old. We got a, a, a two year grant from the Department of Justice to, to to look into, right, to, to understand, to assess and address the impact of these cases on crime victims and survivors. And with that grant, we were able to do some, some groundbreaking work in uh, shining the light and on and raising the profile of crime victims and survivors in these cases. And I think, and maybe again, it's because I come to the work differently than, than Jennifer does with her experience, but I, I, I do believe that that there was a listening session that we had with um, crime survivors and murder victim family members from around the country. And it was clear, kind of like with that conference in 2013 that Jennifer participated in, it was clear that these individuals had never been asked, that they'd never been cared for, never. From the moment that they were harmed or their loved ones were taken from them, no one had really cared for them at any point in the criminal justice system. They had evidentiary value at trial and then after that, they were really, they were really um, let go and law. And bringing those individuals together, I think was probably one of the greatest accomplishments um, that we have had. No, I'm gonna agree with, I, I agree okay. with Katie. I mean, you know, Harriet, one of the terms that we use with the crime survivors and, and, I, and I can speak for it, you know, from my own personal, um, harm is when the exoneration takes place, the crime survivors just get completely erased out of the narrative. You don't even know who they are. You don't even know what the story was. And, um, and so not only did you lose your power and your voice and, and everything, your agency, when the crime happened to you or your family members, but then when the exoneration plays out in the courts and the media is there to, you know, to congratulate the innocent man or woman. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's certainly appropriate, but the crime survivors are completely eliminated from the narrative. And it's been a really difficult thing for us to watch. And it's not even just the erase, the erasing of the crime survivors narrative, but if you're a rape survivor, um, you get blamed for the wrongful conviction to begin with. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to ask you, as you look ahead 
Where do you see your organization, say, a year or two or three from, from now? Well, it is our wildest dream to, um, to expand to the point where we can actually own property and open up a space where oh. we can can and can have these gatherings um, and and really and and expand our healing work. Um, so you know that is definitely a future plan, and of course, growing our staff um, so that we can serve. I mean, I think Jennifer and I we knew that the work was going to be big. Um, and, and I think two things have surprised us. One, how much success we've had in just five years, or I guess I shouldn't say success, but how much we've accomplished mm-hmm. in just five years. But also the reality is, is the need is outpacing our ability to respond to it. Um, you know, we are a staff of two full-time people, two part-time people, and then Jennifer volunteering, you know, 24 mm-hmm. um, seven. We need to grow, you know, we really need to grow um, in not just our space, but uh um, in our human resources as well, so that we can meet the needs of all who've been impacted. Um, Jennifer, what do you th- what are you dreaming about? <laughs> well, I think you know the top of my dream list, of course, is to own our own property. Um, that's been my dream for well since we started. Um, and I think the the other part of my dream is to to give access to more crime survivors um, that they, that they know who we are. I, um, it, it is, it has been a challenge and, it, and it's something that's very difficult for me every day to know that there's, you know, for every wrongful conviction, there's a crime survivor and I don't know where they are. Um, so I think, you know, being able to access those folks is, is big on my list. And, um, and then there's, you know, obviously I'd like to, um, to be to have maybe some satellite offices, so to speak, where we have people on the ground in other places that can help you know do the work as well. So um, I don't know if you call those charters or satellite <laughs> offices. <laughs> I'm not sure what you would call those, but Katie's right. Um, there's so much work to do, yeah. and there's so few of us, at, you know, doing it currently. Right. Yet yeah, doing it. So, so at the moment, where are you based? We are, we are, we're based in Washington, D.C. That is our, oh. um, that is our, our current space, um, mm-hmm. which of course makes sense as a, a national organization, but, um, you know, we have an office, right, where our staff gathers, uh, but, but we, when we have our gatherings, we rent a, a retreat space. Um, we I worked see. very hard to find a place that was safe on, in all of the ways that it needs to be safe. To the people that we serve, and um, and so we host those retreats at that rented space four times a year, um, and so it would uh, expand our capacity substantially to 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 not be limited in where we could gather. So um, that is yeah. definitely a dream, and uh, you know, not only is the work uh, endless, the 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 sky is the limit. I mean, we sure. really. Well, we are in a very strong place with a tremendous amount of momentum. And, and I, and the reality is, and I, I think, um, you know, Jennifer is not the kind of person to ever toot her own horn, but, but we are here 
because of Jennifer's vision. Um, she is a, you know, it isn't just that she's lived it, and it isn't just that she has a heart that is as big as the universe and um, tirelessly wants to serve and support other people, but this vision is um, is incredible. And, uh, you know, we, we owe our success and our, to that, by that's, Jennifer. That's a great tribute. That's wonderful. Now, I have uh, a last question. How, how can people contact you and your project if they have experienced the trauma behind a wrongful conviction? Is there, can they just go to your website? Absolutely. They can contact us through the website. Okay. We also have a, an office phone number, which I'm happy to give you. It is... Go right ahead. Yeah, 2-0-2-7-3-8-4-9-2-5. That's 202-738-4925. And our website again, healingjusticeproject.org. And the email is info at healingjusticeproject.org. Um, I do think it's important just to remind the audience that um, we do work exclusively in cases where an exoneration has already occurred. We get lots of people understandably reaching out um, you know, for help with their legal case or their claim of innocence. And of course, we are not an innocence mm -hmm. project and we don't do that work. The only way we get involved in ongoing cases is in um, supporting crime victims and survivors and supporting prosecutors, police and victim advocates in providing service and support to crime victims and survivors. But but generally, you know, it is cases where there has been that it, where the, the legal question or the legal case has been resolved. Okay, that's a very important distinction that, you know, as to what you don't do and what you do do. Well, I, I thank you both so much for all the time you have spent today sharing your personal stories and those of others to help us see the far-reaching impact of a wrongful conviction, not just on the person convicted, but on family and friends. Um, healing justice offers the kind of support needed for everyone impacted to begin to heal. Jennifer and Katie, it was a pleasure speaking with you for this series of podcasts. I thank you for being with me. Thank, thank you, Harriet. Yes, thank you so much for having us. You're very welcome. And I hope our listeners have learned a great deal from this series of podcasts about Healing Justice Project. Um, it's been a, a real honor to speak to you both and thank you all for, for listening and we'll see you next time on Pursuing Justice. Mm -hmm.